Well, good morning. Today we are wrapping up a sermon series that we've entitled Alive and Well. We've been talking about how we might thrive in some of the core relationships in our lives. And so we've talked about singleness, we've talked about marriage, talked about parenting, we've talked about deep spiritual friendships with other believers in the body of Christ. We talked about relationships more broadly in the church. And today we're going to talk about one more relationship as we wrap up. We're going to talk about uh, hopefully growing friendships with people outside the body of Christ, growing friendships with people that don't yet have a relationship with God through Jesus. And last week we noticed how Jesus said that our relationships inside the body of Christ are really the foundation for our influence outside the body of Christ. We read John 13, 34 and 35, which says this, and notice what Jesus says here about others' perception of us, others' evaluation of us. He says, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And that's the New Testament ethic. We're supposed to treat each other the way God in Christ has treated us. That's our, that's our grid for treating each other. And then he says, <clears throat> by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In other words, the way we treat each other is supposed to convince other people that we are genuinely followers of Christ, not merely church people, not merely religious, not merely we have this weekend habit of sitting in rows with other people, but we're actually apprenticed to Jesus. People should notice it by the way we treat one another. In other words, we're to put on full display, we're supposed to give people a picture of what they can experience if they enter into a believing community. And this suggests, of course, that if our relationships with one another are not healthy in the church, in the family, then it's going to severely compromise our witness to people outside the church. Why would people want to, to become part of us if they don't like what they can, can see, namely our community? Why would they believe and be drawn toward what they can't see, namely our God? And so today we're going to talk about uh, those relationships, uh, befriending people that are far from God. And we're going to notice the way Jesus did this. You may have noticed in, in Luke chapter 7, verse 34, this accusation that Jesus' critics made about him. They accused him of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They said, you're a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And that was an accusation that Jesus never tried to refute. He never said, no, that's not me. As a matter of fact, he, he was a friend. He wasn't merely friendly to tax collectors and sinners. He actually entered into honest friendships with tax collectors and sinners so that they could have a firsthand view, this is what life in the kingdom looks like. And so they could evaluate it. They could see the real thing. And many of them were drawn into a relationship with God as a result. And so no doubt this designation of Jesus as a friend of tax collectors and sinners came from incidents such as the one we're going to look at today, which is in Luke 5. And so let's look at this passage, and uh, then we'll talk about how we might imitate Christ and how we might actually befriend people the way Jesus did. And so Luke 5, verses 27 through 32, Jesus' habit of befriending, quote-unquote, sinners. And this is the account of how Jesus entered into the world of Matthew. So this is the gospel of Matthew. And Matthew is writing about himself. He refers to himself as Levi. And this is what we see in verses 27 and 28 of, of Luke 5. 
After that, Jesus went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he, Levi, left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. In Jesus' day, uh, tax collectors were typically Jews who were employed by the Roman Empire, and the Romans were the invading army. They occupied Israel. And so, as you can imagine, fellow Jews did not look favorably upon tax collectors. They were employed by the enemy. They were extorting money from them to pay to this invading, invading force. And so they weren't anybody's five-star recruits, okay? People didn't just long to get close to the tax collectors. But Jesus did. He chose Levi. He chose Matthew to be one of his 12. Now, I think it's fair to assume that there had been some communication, some relationship ahead of time. This wasn't the first time he'd ever heard or seen Jesus. And he said, follow me. You know, this is probably the culmination of an ongoing relationship. And verse 28 tells us that Matthew, quote, left everything behind and got up and began following him. Levi literally left the tax collecting business. What do you do? What's your work? What, what do you do every day for employment? Can you imagine just one day, Jesus says, follow me, literally, I'm saying, follow me, and you left everything behind and followed him. That's it's an example of radical discipleship we see throughout, throughout the Gospels. Now, apparently nobody told Levi, hey, you need to understand Jesus is a very religious guy, and so you're going to want to compartmentalize your life here. So you want to keep all your new religious friends in one group, and you want to keep all your non-religious old friends in another group. Whatever you do, don't invite them all to the same dinner party. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be really awkward for everybody, and Jesus will probably get a bad reputation. Well, Levi didn't get that memo, and so this is what we read. And Levi gave a big reception for him, for Jesus, in his house. And there was a great crowd of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes began grumbling at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? Jesus knew exactly what he was doing here. In that day, as is the case in our day, table fellowship means relationship. It means acceptance. So when you go in somebody's house and you sit at their table and you eat their food and you enjoy their conversation, that means you've got relationship with them. You're accepted by them. You are welcomed by them. And Jesus very intentionally shared table fellowship with people who were considered as outcasts. They welcomed him into their circle of friendship. And Jesus was breaking down barriers that the Pharisees had re erected between the righteous and everybody else. And that's a big part of what we're talking about today, is just breaking down these artificial barriers that either we or other people put between people who know God and people who don't yet know God. And so the Pharisees and their scribes, we read, they began grumbling at Jesus' disciples, and they asked them, they didn't ask Jesus, they asked Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? Now, that's an interesting question, isn't it? Uh, tax collectors, that's, that's a, a valid category. We knew who the tax collectors were. But this category, sinners, 
that's not quite so straightforward. What do they mean by sinners? Are they implying that that's somebody besides them? Uh, surely the Pharisees, I mean, they were, they were scholars. They, the scribes were religious scholars. They surely would have read Isaiah 53, which makes clear that all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. And so on one level, the Pharisees and the scribes would have to admit, yeah, we, we have sinned. Of course we've sinned. But when they talked about the tax collectors and sinners, they were talking about a subset, Right. And they were talking about this, you know who they were talking about, right? They knew who they were talking about. They probably weren't talking about people that engaged in the sins of pride, judgmentalism, oppression, legalism. It weren't those kind of things. Those are no big deal. They were talking about people with a reputation. They were talking about people with a past. And so they said, why do you, why do you eat with people like that? Well, we don't know if Jesus overheard this question or Jesus had superpowers. He, he, sometimes he just knew things, right? And so Jesus answered this question. And the first thing we notice is that what he doesn't do, he doesn't start backpedaling and saying, whoa, wait a minute, this is not what you think. I'm not really a friend of these people. That's not what's going on here. Now, Jesus describes what was happening in terms of his mission, why he had actually come. And so this is what he does. He cuts right to the heart of the issue. And Jesus answered this verse 31 and said to them, it is not those who are well who need a physician. There is such a thing as, as wellness visits, right? And so sometimes well people need, but generally speaking, uh, physicians work with sick people. Uh, it is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so it's as if for the, for the sake of conversation, discussion, Jesus accepts their categories. And he says, okay, uh, it is true. These people are sick. Every one of them, they're, they're, they're sick. They have this sin problem. They, they're not healthy. They're not whole. But that's exactly why I should be here because I'm the great physician. And so the Pharisees would never admit that. They'd say, no, we're not sick. We're righteous. And for the Pharisees, so the same is true for you, is true for the Pharisees. If you believe that you are inherently righteous, you have no need to have your sin dealt with. You don't have this alienation between you and God. You have not offended a holy God. Then honestly, Jesus really has nothing to offer you. He said, I haven't come to call righteous. So if you put yourself in that category, Jesus says, sorry, I don't have anything to offer you. But sinners... Now, if you admit that you're sinful, if you would say, yes, I have offended a holy God. I have turned away from him in my heart. I've turned to my own way in a thousand different ways, a thousand different times. I have said no to God and I've said yes to myself and I admit it. And Jesus has everything to offer you. He says, I've come to call sinners, people who admit they're sinful, to repentance. You can turn from your, your sin and you can enter into life and you can experience a type of abundance in the kingdom of God that you can't even begin to fathom. And so that's why Jesus befriended people so that they could get to know him, so that they could see and hear the message, the real thing, not a stereotype, not other people's distortion of who he was. They could see the real thing and be drawn into life. They could be called to repentance and to eternal life. In a few minutes, we're going to talk about how we can imitate Christ, how we can do the same thing. We, we can befriend people 
who are far from God. But first, I want to give a a word of caution, and it's simply this. Uh, We need to be wise in these friendships. When we say you should become a friend of tax collectors and sinners, obviously, we're not saying just make friends and, 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 and join them in their sin so that they can relate to you, okay? We're not saying that. You know that, right? It, it doesn't impress anybody when you enter into the, with them into their sins. We're not saying that we should put ourselves in situations that we know are walking into the jaws of temptation, okay? You and I need to know ourselves well enough to know that there are certain relationships and certain situations that we need to avoid or we're going to be no use to anybody. And this is true whether you're, you're 18 or whether you're 58 years old, okay? But I am thinking this morning about those of you who are 18. I, I, I bet some of you are freshmen. Anybody a freshman here? Just raise your hand like a little bit, okay? And so some of you, uh, about a week and a half, you left home for the first time, okay? And you are on your own. We have three kids. It started with us about 10 years ago. But you're on your own for the first time. And uh, uh, those of you who are at K-State, I think you got a book. Every year, K-State gives people the same book. Read this book. Well, I have a book recommendation for you also. This is my annual book recommendation. I'm going to recommend you read the book of Proverbs, okay? And that's because it was written from the vantage point of a dad whose son was leaving home for the first time. And he wants his son, he says, remember what your mom and I have taught you. And you're going to be in all sorts of situations. And one of the things he warns him against is friendships where people say, hey, come with us. This is going to be amazing. There's no risk here. There's no danger. Come with us. It will be better than anything you could imagine. One scenario was they're going to say, hey, we're going to lie in wait. We're going to ambush people. We're going to take their money. There's, there's, there's no downside to this. This is what the dad says in Proverbs 1. But they lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own lives. You want to know who's really set, get, is going to be sprung in the trap? The people who are, are, are plotting. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. And so there's all sorts of warnings in Proverbs. Being a friend of tax collectors and sinners should never be used as an excuse. You should not be naive. You should not be, you should not be um, uh, unwise. And so I'd recommend Proverbs, 31 chapters, read a chapter a day. Uh, it's a great read. It's fascinating what you'll find there. If you read it once a month for, you know, four or five years, however long you're in college, it can provide a foundation for you like nothing else. And so if you're young in years or young in the faith, uh, or if you're very mature and you've known Jesus for a long time, we all need to be careful. Uh, And spiritual friendships are not merely one-on-one relationships. They can be, but as we saw with Matthew, uh, many times it's best in community. If our love for one another is really at the heart of our witness, then like Matthew, we invite our, our friends into our fellowship and into relationships so they can see this is what it looks like in the family of God. Many times our, our corporate witness is, uh, is most compelling. Well, in light of that, that, uh, that caution, consider these two truths about befriending people who need Christ. First, imitating Jesus by befriending people who need a relationship with him, it begins with compassion. And this points to our motivation. 
You and I need the same motivation as Jesus had. And all sorts of weird motives can get caught up in this. Well, I need to befriend people because I'm supposed to, or it will make me look good with my Christian friends or whatever. The, the, the proper motivation is compassion. Our heart goes out to people. This is what we read in Matthew 9, 6. This is Jesus' motivation. This is why he went to the dinner party at Matthew's house. Seeing the people, he, Jesus, felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. His heart went out to them because of their condition. And Matthew uses this rich biblical imagery here of a sheep without a shepherd. In the Old Testament, the worst thing that could happen was for sheep to be wandering alone. Sheep are, are not very smart animals. They can't protect themselves. They can't provide for themselves. Uh, they, they just can't do a lot of things. Uh, Brenda and I worked at a, at a camp for a couple years after college, and it was a ranch, and there were all sorts of just random animals wandering around, and one of those animals that just walked around the camp was a sheep, and the sheep was named Blue, and they named it Blue because it was just blue. It was just a sad, sad sheep, and uh, I'll never forget the day this dog got out of the, this pen. It was a chow. The dog was named Bear. And Bear chased Blue, the sheep, down to the pond and out onto the pier. And Blue, having no other options, jumps into the, <laughs> into the water, you know, big wool coat and all. And as you know, they've got these little hooves, you know. They're not great swimmers and all this wool. And just started. So somebody had to swim out into the middle of the pond and, do, you know, lifeguard and uh, pull this this sheep back to safety. We would say Blue was distressed and dispirited because he actually was a sheep without a shepherd. That's what Jesus saw when he looked out over the, the multitudes. These people are in serious danger, and most of them don't know it. And Jesus, of course, would announce, I am the good shepherd. He was the good shepherd. He said, I will give you protection. I'm what Psalm 23 was talking about. I will give you life. I'll give you nourishment. I'll give you rest. I'll lead you by still waters. I'll make you lie down in green pastures. I will restore your soul. I'll make a table for you in the presence of your enemies. And when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you can fear no evil. And so Jesus was the good shepherd. And he said, I'm not like a hireling. When, when danger comes, I'm not going to flee. I'm actually going to lay down my life for the sheep. And so if we want to imitate Christ by befriending people who are far from God, we need the same compassion that Jesus had. We remember the compassion that Jesus has shown and is showing us, and that motivates us. The love of Christ controls us. That motivates us to enter into the lives of others. And so think about the people in your world that don't yet know Christ. It might be people you live with. It might be people you work with might be in the stores you frequent, but there's this, this whole network of people that, that we know. Will you allow God to give you compassion for them? Will you start noticing them? Notice their condition. Look beyond sometimes the, the facade, the, whether it's the bravado or whether it's the, the anger or the cynicism. Look, look beyond it and, and see that people without Christ are like sheep without a shepherd.
And let that compassion motivate you. Whenever you have compassion towards somebody, you move toward them in relationship. You move toward them in conversations. You're more inviting. You're more vulnerable when you have compassion for people. So it begins with compassion. The second thing I want to point out is that befriending people who need, need Christ begins with compassion, but it flows from our own experience. These, these friendships, they really flow from our own experience. In Acts 1, Jesus made a promise. He had already risen from the dead. He was about to ascend back to the right hand of the Father. But he made this statement, this this promise, this declaration about his followers. And it has really staggering implications for what we're talking about today. And it assures us that in this, this process of befriending people who need God, it's not like Jesus gives us this command and says, good luck, you're on your own, okay? He doesn't say that. Look at this command in Acts 1. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or epochs, the ages which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. In other words, it's going to start close and Jerusalem is going to spread out. Your witness will extend to the remotest parts of the earth. And so Jesus simply said, you will receive power when the spirit comes upon you. And for them, that happened on the day of Pentecost. For you and for me, it happens at conversion. When you put your faith in Jesus, this is what he promised in the new covenant. I will put my spirit, my very spirit within you. And the spirit within us, one of the things that he does is he empowers us. He empowers us to be witnesses. And a witness is someone who gives a firsthand account of something he or she has experienced. And so think about a courtroom scene. When a witness is called up, if a witness says, well, I heard, I heard somebody else say that this happened, I'll say objection, that's hearsay. A witness has to give a firsthand account. And so the Spirit gives us this witness where we give our firsthand account, this is what Jesus has done in my life. So we don't have to say, I've heard, it's, it's been said that when a person knows God, they experience blah, blah, blah. You say, no, this is my experience. I've got this joy. I've got this peace. I've got this satisfaction in my life. I find I have this, this freedom in my life from the guilt of sin, from the shame of sin, from the power of sin. I, I have this experience and it's available to you. And so Jesus said, you will receive power when the Spirit, I mean, this is the Holy Spirit, <laughs> comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. And so uh, the good news is you don't have to make things up. What can I say to my friends who need Christ? No, you share from your experience. If you're not experiencing Jesus, that's an issue. We have other issues to take care of ahead of time. But if you're experiencing him and walking with him, then you simply share out of your experience. And so uh, it's, you, it's good to know how to share the gospel clearly and simply. And like many churches, many campus ministries, we provide training on occasion on this is how you share the gospel. But most 
normal, most, in most cases, people come to Christ in the, relation, in, the, in the context of relationships. Occasionally, someone will come to Christ when someone they've never met shares the gospel with them. I know one guy who came to Christ because he went on this historical search. What is, what is true? What does the Bible say? What does histor- history tell us about Christianity? And he came to Christ kind of independent of anybody. Uh, but most people come to Christ in the context of relationships. They have friends that they trust, friends who've experienced something. They see the beauty and the power of it in their friends' lives. And they say, okay, I'm seeing it in your life. I want it for myself. I believe as well. And so people believe when we bear witness in the power of the Spirit in the context of these friendships. And some of you know my, my story, and that's basically how I came to Christ. I came to Christ when I was a sophomore in college. I grew up in a, in a church family. We went to church. I knew quite a lot of uh, Bible stories. I even had a few uh, spiritual experiences growing up, but I had zero convictions about walking with Christ, mor- morally, any of that. Uh, and when I, when I went to college, my first year and a half, I just ran with the pack. I did everything that the dad in Proverbs says not to do. And so it was a life of partying and everything that went with it. And uh, after a year and a half of that, something happened that I never would have guessed. I got absolutely tired of it. It was just exhausting. I said, there's, there's got to be something better than this. And I, I would probably be described as a life of the party kind of guy, but I was lonely. I was very lonely. I had zero healthy friendships. I had a lot of acquaintances, a lot of buddies, you know, but I had zero healthy friendships. And that's when God sent me these three, and I don't normally say it this way, but I believe God sent me these three friends that changed my life forever. Uh, Bob Bowen, uh, Joel Piper, and Stuart Jordan, and they were just normal guys, and they invited me. First of all, we started playing basketball on Friday afternoons, and then they invited me to hang out in their apartment, and then they invited me to a Bible study. That was not, I didn't see that coming, but they invited me, and I went And I saw for the first time, the first time ever, I saw joy. I saw people that talked about Jesus. They they were on a first name basis with Jesus. They would say, Jesus showed me. I'd heard the name Jesus like on the basketball court. And and these guys talked about God a lot on basketball. But they they seemed to have this relationship with Jesus. And so after about three or four months of, of that, It was the most natural thing in the world for me to put my faith in Christ and begin walking with him. I mean, it it was second to that. It was was far superior to anything I'd ever experienced. And so at the time, I didn't have categories. I wouldn't have been able to say it in these categories. But they were bearing witness. They were talking about their own experience. It wasn't this philosophical, it's been said, this is what people are uh, alleged. It It was a firsthand witness empowered by the Holy Spirit, and it was compelling. They were my friends. I never felt like a project. I never felt like they were saying, well, we're going to humor this guy. We were, it was an honest friendship. And so what I would say to you, based on Jesus' example, based on my experience, based on the experience of many people in the room, is never underestimate the power of an honest spiritual friendship. 
if you are moved by compassion, if your heart goes out to people and you enter into friendships with people, not because they're a project, if they're a project, they will spot it a mile away, okay? But, it, but if it's genuine compassion, people generally, they appreciate it. They respond to it. Never think, these people don't need a friendship with me. You don't know. You may be the only living, breathing, uh, actual Christian, follower of Christ, that they know. And never think that you don't have anything to offer them. Well, I don't know how to say it. I don't have the right words. I'm not theologically whatever. If you've experienced it, you can bear witness. You can talk about what you have experienced. And so never underestimate the power of what God can do in your life uh, through an honest friendship. Uh, honestly, I think back to when I was a sophomore in college, I had no idea where I would end up, what my life would be, what type of disaster I would have experienced without those three friends. And so I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that we would be a people who have the type of compassion that Jesus had and that, that moved by compassion, we would, would enter into relationships where we have the transparency to bear witness, give firsthand account of what we've experienced. And I hope you can come Tuesday night to our, our citywide prayer gathering at Westview because we're going we're gonna to take passages from the book of Acts and pray that the church, the body of Christ in Manhattan would embody these things. And one of the things we're going to pray is that we would experience power to bear witness for Christ broadly in our city. And so we want to see the body of Christ, the, the body of Christ thrive and vibrant in everything that God wants us to be. So come on Tuesday, if at all possible. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us the compassion of Jesus. We pray that we would be people whose hearts go out to those. And God, those of us who know you, may we never forget the compassion we've been showed. We pray that the love of Christ would control us, that it would be the, the dominant controlling influence in all aspects of our lives and that we would reach out to others in compassion. We would move toward them in relationship. And God, we pray that we would have the freedom and the transparency to share what you've done in our lives. May we not be ashamed of the gospel. May we not be ashamed of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so God, we know that you need to do this. Empower us. Give us, uh, inflame our imaginations to see what you might be doing. Open our eyes to the people around us. God, we believe this is a far superior way to live our lives. Thank you for inviting us in. Thank you for making us part of your mission in this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <laughs>